Welcome to part two of episode 29 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. In part two, I continue to converse with Barry Salisbury about his football journey. Thanks to Barry for allowing me to speak with him on the phone for over two hours. I sincerely respect his time. Please enjoy the second part to episode 29. So when he when he did come, like I said, you were still at Canterbury and you came um, back to South Coast after he called you um, in the 63 season. But yep. he, he did, um, from what I can gather, um, looking at newspapers, but you were there in terms of being in the region um, and sometimes watching the South Coast games or, or whatnot. But he, he started writing newspaper articles. He, he seemed to have just given this sort of energy to, to the town in term, and, and the club itself, didn't he? Well, well, the district, the whole district, I was, was set, alight, set alight by Jimmy Kelly. Um, and I remember I went down to, I went down to Bulls Paddock. It might have been to see him or something and about coming to South Coast. And he, he was down there pushing a lawnmower <laughs> and, um, on the ground. And I thought, here's a bloke who's been captain of Blackpool and here he is pushing a lawnmower, trying <laughs> trying to make ground improvements, you know. And uh, you know he was uh, he just did so much. And uh, I, at, um, at one of the functions they had when he came back in about the nineteen early nineteen nineties, somebody said he could well have been the mayor of Wollongong if he'd decided <laughs> to run. And and I think that's not far from the truth because he had a, he had a way with people as well. He he as I said he was a very intelligent man who always tried to educate himself further and. Um, he never forgot names. If if he met somebody, he'd keep their name in his mind, and he'd always greet them by name when he met them. And that's why he did so well in business when he went back. He he was very very when he gave football away after that '68 uh, time out here, the short time he was here in '68, he went back and became a millionaire through an insurance brokerage. That's the sort <laughs> of person he was, and he inspired other people to be better. And uh, I remember the year I was coming, there was an inside forward called Alec Marshall who played for uh, South Coast United. And I was getting a bus home from work one day, and he, Alec happened to be on the bus. And he saw, he said, Barry, you're coming to South Coast next year. I said, yes, Alec, that's right. He said, oh, I said, you're lucky. He said, yeah, I said, he's, he's terrific. He said, Kelly's terrific. And he said, um, I'm just so unhappy that I... He said, Jim was honest with me and said, I... I wouldn't make the team and I should get another club if I could. Yep. He said, and I'm, I'm grateful that he gave me that opportunity. He said, but this club's on the verge of something. He said, they're really going to... And he was right. The next year, South Coast won the uh, won the championship. Yeah, well, so, that, so, that 63 season, like you said, you you come back to the region after having five seasons with Canterbury, um, you know, and, and the clubs that you were sort of playing against... Um, there were some big clubs in terms of Prague, Arpia, Panhellenic. You know, um, it, it was like you said, a strong, a very strong uh, a competition. So it was a it was a great season for for the region, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. That was '63. Was a massive year for South Coast, and uh, um, unfortunately, we we didn't hit that we didn't hit that height again when we could have and should have. In 1965, we were we won the championship. When I first spoke with Jim, he said, "I, I want to win the um, uh, 
the competition proper where you play your matches and you sit on top the league. Yeah. They call it the league in England. And he said, I want to win the league. And it took, he came in 61, he won, won the championship in 63, and then in 65 he achieved what he wanted to do, and that was to win the win league, league, to be yeah. on top of the league. Now, we had a team that I think could have gone all the way and won their matches, but for some unaccountable reason, uh, there was a lot of unhappiness within the team. We we played Chelsea at Winuna and they beat us 1-0, and they were lucky to beat us too. And people might have a different view, but we pushed Chelsea in that game. I think that was one of the best games South Coast ever played, to be honest. And this when was 65, wasn't it? 65, yeah. yeah. That was the year that we won the league, and um, that year we should have done better. We lost a semi-final and a final, and some of the players had just become... They wanted extra money, and the club said they couldn't afford to give them extra money. So some of the players were affected by that decision, I think, and that was sad. And I was very bitter at the time. I thought, come on, we're better than this. You know, we, we're well paid. Let's get out there and do our job. But you know, we just didn't do it, and we we lost the semi-final and then lost the final. So we're knocked out of it. But, uh, you yeah, know, anyway, that was... Um, he, he achieved all the things he wanted to achieve in when he came here. But um, as I said, he was uh, just the right person. If you'd put him anywhere, he would have been the right person. So he obviously had the the skills as a footballer, and then as a coach, he had the charisma and the ability to communicate with everyone in the team. Oh yes, yes. So I think he was a great communicator, and uh, he. I remember watching him play one day, and I was playing for Canterbury, and I remember he'd get the ball in the right half position, and he hit hit it with his right foot in behind the fullback, right into the space that you could just run into and pick the ball up and you you didn't have to be the defender. You are already past him because of his pass. And I thought, if only I could play there and receive balls like that, you know. So, so that, he had he had me inspired before I came. But so that, um, that obviously factored in your decision when you went back there then? Oh, yeah. No, but it was just that there was a drive. I, I took a couple of coaching classes for the Coromel Rangers Junior Club in 1961 and 62, and uh, the kids at Coromel were just full of Jimmy Kelly, you know. Um, they, um, they were just full of it. I mean, they, oh, South Coast, you're right, Jimmy Kelly. And it, it sort of was their conversation when they came to these training sessions. Uh, I don't think they thought much of me, but they thought a lot of Jim <laughs> Kelly. But, um, yeah, so that was... I've got, I had a great admiration for him, and, I, and I, I'll always think that... Uh, he was one of the one of the most um, influential people and a leader. Uh, people talk about leadership in roles today, administration, but he was a leader, a real leader. He he showed the way. I mean, when things got tough on the ground, Jim would do something that could inspire you, you know. Yep. And uh, but but in that '63 team, there were lots of people who you could learn from. I mean, some of these English pros that came out. Say, take away Will Billington. Wilf was the greatest talker of the game from the back that I've ever known. Because it was it was so helpful to me coming into the right fullback position. He would virtually tell me where there was a danger arising. And it was so helpful. And, and they they helped you, these people. And uh, your, your education was furthered by listening to what they had to say. And I remember another bloke who I often enjoyed listening to was, um, uh, he's now dead, uh, Derek Mayer. He... Yep. He he'd talk about his days at Preston North End, and he went. He was at Everton for a time, and just to listen to him talk and and to um, say 
it would tell you what 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 was happening and and attitudes and who we who were the players that stood out and who were the people that created problems for our team. You know, it was they were just incredible to listen to. And if you didn't, I mean, some some of the young blokes didn't ever listen uh, to what to what was being spoken about, yep. and they missed so much. There was so much education, soccer education there with some of these old pros, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a meaningful and learning experience that you had with them. So, um, and, and that was that was um, yeah, that was uh, South Coast United as I remember it. But um, the heart and soul was Jimmy Kelly, and uh, um, I think when Jimmy went back in '65, uh, we still had a good team. We were still a good team. And who uh, who, who took after 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 Jim departed? Jimmy Harris did. Yep. Um, Jimmy Harris became the coach, and I became the conditioner. Yep. And um, Jim and I worked out what we'd do, and and I I had the boys really fit, and then Jim was the uh, coach in, in name and and coach in, in fact, and um, so we we finished in the top four that year, you know, because there was still a hangover. But the next year was a total disaster. I'm not going to go into that year because that was my last year there, and I don't want to blacken people's uh, reputations. But uh, um, yeah, we we just had a dreadful year, and it was I was so unhappy at the end of that year, yep. and. Uh, that's you, you, that was one of the reasons I went to Balgowny as a coach. Following that year, I was just so disappointed in what had transpired in that season and things that were said, and uh, it was yeah, it was just unpleasant, very unpleasant year. And then the next year, I went to Balgowny, and Jimmy Kelly came back to South Coast United for about seven months. Yeah. And, and in terms of um, just your time there at South Coast United. Um, did part of you think about it in the sense that um, you'd sort of come full circle, that when you were growing up as a young child that you heard the noise because you weren't too far away from Balls Paddock and, and that you were playing, like you said, there was thousands turning up to the games at South Coast United and, and yeah. now you were sort of playing in this huge crowd and instead of just hearing about it, you know, you were amongst, you know, because it it's a smaller ground in the sense of people surrounding it, sort of... Uh, Sort of dug underneath in terms of the, where the street level was, so it was a it was a great game to great games to play at that ground, wasn't it? When the oh yeah, were... oh, it was a life feeling there, you know, because the crowd was so close. And there were other grounds where, uh, if you went to Mona Park, where Auburn played, it was it was like a graveyard, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I think everybody's performance was lessened by the fact that there was no atmosphere. Um, I don't ever recall being terribly excited when I played at Wollongong Showground either. It was it, it sort of lacked character to me. It probably uh, isn't like that now because of the, the grandstands and one thing or another. But the old Wollongong Showground in the fifties and sixties was a, it was I think I think it was a cemetery at one stage, and yep. that's how it, it always appeared to be to me. Um, but no, they were playing at South Coast United on, at Balls Paddock with the crowd behind you. It was a you know great experience. Um, but once again, uh, when you, you know, if you really play, then you focused on the game. You weren't worried about too much noise. You just got on and did your job as you were expected to do. And, and but, what, uh, no, sorry to interrupt. What, what colour shirts did South Coast United play in predominantly? Well, we started off playing in red and yep. white. Yep. Uh, it was a red shirt with full sleeves, and on the bands around the neck and the sleeves were blue. And red, okay. um, blue rather, and because 
there you had the three colours of the two clubs. Okay. You had Coromel United, which was red and white, yep. and you had Winuna Bulli, which was uh, blue and red, and so you had red and blue on the shirts. So it was an amalgamation of, the, of that clubs. That's why it was called South Coast <laughs> United. Um, but, um, yeah, so then in the grand final in 63, once again, Jim, stroke of genius, said we should get a new outfit, a new strip. Yep. For the for the for the matches for the big matches, and uh, the grand final particularly, and on this occasion when we ran out we all had red tracksuits on with a an emblem on the left uh, over the left breast no, over the heart, and which was South, SCU South Coast yep. United, and then we all ran onto the field with these tracksuits, and then we peeled them off, <laughs> and lo and behold with these red shirts and black shorts red socks oh, wow. nothing else. And I don't know whether that put Arbia off its game, but we trounced them and deserved to be because we outplayed them. But, um, yeah, so that was one of the things that, that sort of Jim did that sprung a surprise and must have talked somebody into it. And for a long time, Jim's ideas sort of propped up the club, yep. um, the South Coast United Club, and he was responsible for a lot of the success they had. Um, simply because he, you know, he was a thinker, and he pulled people along with him. So that was a, just an example of uh, one of the examples that where he was always leading and um, directing. And and once they lost that direction, once South Coast lost that direction, um, they were never it would never be as successful as they were again in their history. Yeah, well, uh, I and, guess uh, yeah, several so, years later they had folded after they sort of changed their name yeah, to Safeway right. and. And then merged yeah. with and, Bowgander to become... Then I think they went back to South Coast United for a year, didn't they? Or, and then it all blew up and they became um, Bowgownie or Wollongong. I'm not yeah, Bowgownie yes, for but... a year or so and then Wollongong yeah, City. Yeah. So and the funny thing was that in those days when they were Bowgownie, they had some very good players come there. Um, there were two fellows who were pros for uh, Queen's Park Rangers, I think. One was a fullback and one was a forward and... And they never sort of attracted the attention that they should have. The, the crowd should have swelled to Balgani because these two blokes alone were, were worth the price of admission. <laughs> but they they didn't click. And um, I can only put that down to no inspiration from somebody, you know, yeah. who should have been doing something about promoting it. And but, um, yes, yeah, so. when you um, and and like you said, we'll we'll forget about the the '67 season, your last season, but. Um, it wasn't wasn't great in terms of '68. Um, were you always thinking about you'd potentially potentially coach, or did Bowgeny sort of give you a call no, well, and, been, and changed I'd been your coaching mind? Coaching teams. I'd been coaching teams since 1960, particularly schoolboys teams. Okay. Uh, being a teacher, yep. I used to um, help pick the South Coast teams, and then they'd say I have a couple of training sessions, and so I'd take those. Yep. That was how I really started. And then in 1960, um, uh, somebody from Winuna, Winuna Junior Club, approached me about coaching their under-16s. And I agreed to do that. Uh, yeah. One, because uh, I thought I owed it to the club yeah. and I'd left under those conditions that we've just spoken yeah, about split, previously. Yeah. And so I went back and worked with the under-16 kids for two years. And then I got caught up in the, new, uh, the Illawarra branch of the a New South Wales Soccer Coaches Association okay. for a couple of years. And Jim was the head coach, and Graham Barnett and myself and Adrian Ringland uh, came along. 
um, and some of the other players came along. And that was in at the start of end of '62, start of '63, and that continued through '64. And then, as I said, I became the um, conditioner for the team in '66, and so that whetted my appetite a bit for yep. having some, some input into what would happen should happen on the park. And so I was never really out of coaching from the time I was fairly young. Well, in 1960, I was only 22. So, um, yeah, so it went back to then. So it, I was always interested in it. And at the end of 67, uh, Balgarni, uh officials asked me if I'd run a coaching clinic for their senior players okay. over, the, over the last or oh, the last six weeks of, of the year. So I did that, and they must have been happy with what I did, and the players enjoyed it because they said they hadn't had training like that previously. Because I did a lot of ball work, yep. and um, and so then Belgia and um, South Coast officials said to me, "What are you going to do?" And I said, uh, "They said they said Jim's coming back, and you don't want to be here when Jim comes back." And I said, "He won't come back." I said, "You people have messed that up." I said, "You've messed everything up." So why would he come back anyway? He did. He did come back. <laughs> So, um, but by then I'd signed for Balgani and I think Eric Ramsey, who was the president, said, oh, you'll be playing for us by the end of the year. And <laughs> I said, oh, I don't think so. Because South Coast had put the same transfer fee on me that they'd paid for me at, from Canterbury. Ah, uh, okay. So Balgani couldn't afford it. It was just too much money for them. But anyway, they um, they managed to um, get a few dollars together and, and the transfer fee was put down. And so I ended up coming back onto the field in the second half of the competition. I think we were, I think we were eighth or something at the time. And after that, we didn't lose a game. Um, and, and then we just missed out on the top four by a point, I think. Yeah. We beat we beat a team. Uh, I can't think of it was now, but we beat a team by six or something. And we thought that would get us in, but. One of our opponents scored even more goals, and they qualified above us. But uh, so that was that year, and then um, the so next in, year, in, that, in that year of '68, um, uh, what what were your feelings in terms of the the players that you'd put together? Uh, who who were some of the players? And and oh well, um, no, there were, uh, we we picked up Bobby Jones was the goalkeeper, and Bob yeah. was a very nice bloke and a good goalkeeper. Uh, but he loved to socialise, <laughs> and uh, and then we had uh, Ray Orphan, who was a very very good player and very hard too, one of the hardest players I've, I've played with, and um, we had a couple of you know, spooty young fullbacks, and uh, um, I picked up a boy called Jimmy Nippers, who was a Wanuna boy, yep. and I knew Jimmy had a heart as big as himself, and I knew if I asked him to do something, he'd do it. So he came back into the team and. Picked up a big bloke called Harold Hughes. I don't know. I don't know where Harold is now, but um, he played striker and he was a bustler and put a few goals in. And uh, Sav Barnaby was playing in the team. Um, um, I can't think of um, the others, but they were. We had some. They were useful. They were useful players, and we ended up having. A pretty good season. We, oh, we you, won the reserve you, grade. Because you're in the second division as well. We were. Sort of the we won the reserve year. grade comp in that, that year. The, the reserve grade team won their comp. They were the champions, as they call them. Yep. And um, so we had a bit, little bit of success in that regard. And then at the end of that year, Jim Kelly went back to England and South Coast United officials phoned me and said, would you consider coming back to South Coast United? 
these are the conditions, and the conditions they were talking about money-wise was a lot more money than uh, what was on offer from Balgownie. Anyway, I spoke to my wife about it, and she said, you know, if you go back, you're going to go through the same traumas that you went through in 1967. She said, don't even think about it. So I phoned Sid Fares. I don't know if you know. Yeah, a journalist. He was? Yep. And, and, and he had, some, had some running at, at, at the License Club as well, didn't he? At he did. Boy, he yeah. was a secretary manager at one stage, yep. yeah. And anyway, Sid, uh, I phoned Sid and said, look, um, Sid, I, uh, Trev, uh, Trev Burchett made this offer. I said, I, I'm, not ex- I'm not interested. I don't want to do it. And uh, Tommy Anderson had taken over the coaching role when Jim Kelly returned to England. And uh, so they'd won a few games. And so then... They turned uh, Trev phoned me and said, we didn't want you anyway. <laughs> so, so, so I know it was uh, sour grapes or not. But anyway, that was... So I, I signed with uh, Balgani again and they picked up Ron McGarry as a player. Because Ron, Ron up, was uh, like a, 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 oh, he was a, a very seasoned player. pro and, and still held in high oh, esteem yeah, he in, in Newcastle, yeah. isn't he? Oh, yeah, he, he was... Uh, if he'd played, as his reputation suggested he should... We would have won it, um, but he, Ron was only his mind was elsewhere. He was coaching Bulleye at the time, okay. and he did that very successfully. But he's, oh, look, I, I don't want to go into it. But um, you know, if if he'd been, uh, if his mind had been about winning the competition, he was so so good we could have won it. Because I'm not saying he would have won it on his own. We had some useful players as well, and um, but anyway, it didn't work out that way, and we ended up finishing fifth, I think. But uh, it was very disappointing. We only lost about four games in the whole season or five games. But we just, you know, other two, Western Suburbs in Sydney had money. Uh, Marconi. Southern, uh, Marconi. That was Marconi. They, they, yeah, they had money. Western Suburbs had money. Sutherland didn't have money. But um, but they, you know, were, had um, a bit of enthusiasm. But the big clubs, uh, they bought uh, Shine Flag played for Marconi, Ray Richards played for Marconi, um, um, who else played for them? Oh, they had some re- very good players. And then Western Suburbs bought uh, Archie Blue from Arpia, uh, the fullback uh, Van Blurk, uh, yep. uh, Chris Van uh, Chris Van Blurk, he was the dad. Jason was the son. son. Yeah, so they bought them, and so you can't you can't compete if they've got eight ex-first division players who were one year out of it, then you're not going to, you know, it was just difficult to beat them. But we had our chances, but we just didn't grasp them. And so I was very disappointed and um, I uh, became a bit frustrated and I got managed to get sent off in uh, the second last game of the season and uh, I, I didn't like that and uh, I was very unhappy with myself for being conned and um, uh, being sent off. It was very disappointing and then the next year, the last year, um, I decided to give it away. I went back to cricket and I broke my jaw, got smacked in the face by a quick bowler and yeah. had my jaw broken in two places. So Phil Murphy uh, came to see me, Phil Murphy Senior, yep. and he said, how about coming back and playing again this year? I said, oh, I don't think so. I'd, I'd only be a hindrance. So anyway, as it turned out, I, I played two games and I, I was never really enthused about it, so... I packed it in after a couple of games. So and, you um, didn't coach that in that 1970 season? No, no, no. Ron McGarry took over as okay. coach. He was the coach. 
So in terms of that that coaching stint, did you um, uh, did you enjoy? I believe with a lot of the disappointments. <laughs> or, or, or was it a was it a bit more difficult in terms of, um, I guess, the budgets that you had to compete against? Um, yes, that, and the plus the fact that you know I've always believed that one of the things you've got to hate to lose. If you don't hate to lose, then you're always going to be have a question mark about you. Um, you know, people say when you know, they've seen players break down, and I'm not suggesting everybody should break down and cry when you're beaten, but no, no, no. you've got to be concerned. You've got to ask yourself, why was I beaten? What can I do next time that can turn that around? And so many people aren't like that. I mean, a lot of talent, they've got a lot of talent, a lot of, lot of everything that goes to make a player, but they just don't want to win badly enough. And I don't mean kicking people and, you know, Deliberately going out to hurt people, I, I, I would never just advance giving one hundred and ten percent. But you've yeah, you, well, one hundred and ten you've got to give, and then a bit more. And if you don't give that, and if when you lose you want to go out and have a drink or go to the club, well, well, I think that tells me something about people because that's not the sort of thing I I I would do. I would go home and I'd stew over it. I probably uh, wouldn't talk to anybody for about twenty four hours until I'd thought it through and worked out uh, where we were, but some people can lose a game and just walk away and sort of forget be, it, but be, I can't, I'm not like that. So some people sort of, I guess, ambivalent towards uh, losing on and not, not... Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And, and it's just their nature. I mean, you can't help your nature, I suppose, yeah. but but I always felt that if you uh, if you didn't get upset, then you weren't challenging yourself, and you, if you didn't think about why you were beaten, then... Um, so I, I, I'm a firm believer in that. You, I think you've got to care. Um, you've just got to care a, a great deal, and so so many players don't. I mean, and see if you're getting paid. See, I think at Balgowie, I think they're getting three quid a game, um, three three dollars a game. No, no, uh, it would have been dollars, three dollars a game. Well, somebody who's working at the steelworks can get a double double shift, and then they say, oh, I won't get a training because I, I can make more money. It's going to affect my pocket, and I understand that. I, yeah. I get that. Um, it's but very you, difficult. But if you've for committed people. for the season, you commit to the season as a player. Well, well, but more than that, I mean, it's it's, it's you know you're committed to the team and yep. your teammates, and um, you make sacrifices because of that. But if when the, you know the money comes into it, if you're if you're uh, a bloke with a wife and kids, then you've got to think your money. But um, but it, it detracts from what you're trying to do as a coach, mm. and so sometimes. That's the frustration of it. You've got to live live with that and see it from the player's point of view. And I, I found that very difficult to do. So that's why I was frustrated a lot. But um, just caring and, uh, you know, worrying when the team went down. I mean, a lot of people care and, and they probably worry about it, but um, it doesn't show in their performance the next week. You know, yeah. they just, uh, yeah, we, we lost and so we lost. And so you've played in um, uh, the black and white quarters when you're at Black Balgandis. and white, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and they ha- look, always look good. Balgandish colours always look good. Black and white are always successful, I think. <laughs> and, and, and they, they looked at the Balgandish club. was sad, the Balgandish club, because you had people who... Some, I mean, Phil Murphy Sr., was he was an absolute wonder in terms of wanting to do something for the team, wanting to do something for the players, you know? And the money just wasn't there. So there was no licensed club. Um, I think because you went of their to money. went to Mount Pleasant Sports and Social Club. Well, well, was yeah, it? but I don't think I don't think there was any money involved. If yeah. there was, 
then I, I'd be surprised. But they used to run you know, chook raffles up at Balgowney Pub to raise <laughs> money, you know. And, I mean, then you're competing with a, a, a licensed club that's putting $50,000 into the club and you buy players or you can pay players. It's a different different scenario. And uh, it's amateur against pro and, and there's yeah. no comparison. And Pro's what, always boot amateurs. And who were some of the other... You, you spoke about... Um, Phil Murphy Senior, who were some of the other, Eric Ramsey, and who were some of the other committee well, people well, yeah, at the well, club Eric, at the time? I didn't, have a, I didn't have a lot to do with Eric. Eric had been tied up with the association at one stage, and I think Eric was one of the people that took it hard when okay. uh, the Federation triumphed. And uh, But but he stayed on with Balgowney, and he ended up getting Balgowney into the First Division in the Federation for a couple of years. And, um, yeah, he, he was a hard worker, Eric, uh, and for everything. I mean, he... He was involved not only in football, but he was involved in cricket. He was cricket a politician and, as well, wasn't he? Or, he with he the was, unions? Or with the member unions? Member in the state parliament. Yep. Yeah, so, so I, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a lot to do with him, but, but I, what I had to do with him was, you know, he was always uh, on, on, the, on the level with me, yeah, sure. And, and, and who uh, were some of the other people remember, at the club? Oh, well, in my time, um, yeah. uh, there was um, uh, a lady, uh, June James. She was okay. the treasurer. And uh, Billy Hennis, a bloke called Billy Hennis, was the secretary. Yep. And the president was um, Ivan Mackay the second year, and Eric was the first year I was there. Yep. Um, but, you know, they just a few of them, and uh, the junior club had a lot of money tied up through its canteen. But, you know, you couldn't ask the junior club to sponsor the senior <laughs> club, could you? But, no. um, but, but they, we just didn't have any money. It was it operated on a shoestring, and... And as a result, that's you know, if you operate on that level, then that's the level you're going to be uh, appearing at. And in terms of the the ground itself, because the ground um, compared to where it is now, it wasn't built up. There wasn't the hills around it like it was now, and and it was well, it was further north, first, further north, wasn't it? When I first played at Balgowney as a junior, there was a slaughter yard at the back, and there was a wire fence that ran on the western side of the ground right along the ground, and on it were sheepskins. And um, <laughs> when you played Balgowney up there, we always said the kids at, the, the kids at Balgowney had a big advantage because they were accustomed to the smell. But <laughs> this sickening smell, when a Wesley came up, would envelop the ground and uh, oh, wow. you'd, you'd have to contend with it. But, but uh, I mean, as the years passed, they built the old tin grandstand, if you could call it that, on the western side. And um, then I think they put a a white handrail around the ground, and uh, it was uh, improved quite considerably, yeah. But but still, you know, there was still no money there to do the big things. But uh, but uh, I drove past the ground oh, a couple of weeks ago, just out of curiosity, yep. and it still looked pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, that, it hasn't changed too much. Um, and yeah, I don't. their club's pretty successful now, is it, or...? Well, the junior the juniors are a very big club, and I'm involved with the senior club still, and we're just sort of um, yeah, we're definitely um, on less than a shoestring. I don't know what less than a shoestring is, but that's what we <laughs> what we uh, <laughs> what we uh, yeah. we don't pay players, and um, you know, you just uh, I guess go year to year and and work as hard as you can. So, in terms well, of well, um, look, it's a it's a great club to be in. It's got a great tradition. I, I I've done a bit of reading, and I've looked up. Um, uh, Judy Masters and Titchy Thompson, and that must have been an exciting time in Balgowney's history when they had that brilliant team and uh, two Australian representatives at and the same Dave, time. And Dave Ward as well, yeah. 
That's right, yeah. So, so you know, that's got a great tradition, and uh, anybody who manages to pull on a Balgownie shirt should be very proud because it's a great, it's a, you know, traditionally a great club. So I hope it continues. Yeah, uh, they're in the first division, are they? In yeah, the... under the sort of the I guess it's a second tier. So yeah, there's the Premier mm, League, and mm. then we're in the District League. In terms of um, going back now over sort of your whole career, you know, um, can we talk a bit about um, some of the other sort of players or characters or or different um, sort of incidents that happened? Because I remember you were talking about um, a one game, and it could have been that. Um, Australian game or maybe a New South Wales game where you were, there was a, a gentleman you played with, I forget his name now, um, who was uh, doing his hair before the game. Oh, that was Alec Jeffrey, yeah. yeah. Yes, that was um, a New we... South Wales team playing against a team from Fiji and I was reserved, but the New South Wales team was a fascin- oh, fabulous team. All of the superstars were in it. Yeah. Um, and Alec, who had been a superstar in, in England, before he, he broke both his legs playing for England in an under-23 match against France, yep. and they banned him. The insurance companies banned him because he had, had had two broken legs. So they were thinking about their payout if anything else happened to him. So to prove to them that he could play, he came to Australia. He was one of the people that came to Australia. And um, not only was he a brilliant player, but he could sing. He was a good singer. <laughs> And he, he appeared at the Chevron Hilton in Sydney at, in the Silver Spade Room, I think they called it, as a singer in his own right. And uh, But he, on this occasion, we were out at the sports ground and um, he, there was a mirror there on on the wall and he came up and he started to comb his hair. And he had thick, wavy, dark hair. And I said to him, I said, Alec, we're not going out there to kiss them. We're going out there to kick them. And he said, just a minute, he said that. Uh, when I was a boy and my father was telling me how, I'd, how I could become a good player, he always said, you mightn't be a player, son, but you can always look like one. And then he continued to comb his hair and totally ignore it, <laughs> which I thought was pretty pretty good at the time. But, uh, yeah, there was another, another bloke that I remember was an Austrian called Irv, Irvine Schopf. Yep. And he'd been an uh, Austrian Olympic skier before he came to Australia, and uh, he was a good soccer player as well. And he'd, he'd had troubles with every club he played for. He always had trouble with the coach or his fellow players anyway. Uh, he came, we had a lot of injuries in 59. I think we used 26 players to fill in the first grade side. And they bought Irvine, Canterbury bought Irvine as a as a replacement for some of the injured players. Yep. And this day we played Coromel United at Memorial Park. And Canterbury um, had a, an English sort of thing going and they had long baggy white shorts and they gave the shorts to Irvine and he said I'm not wearing those and they said well everybody else is he said I don't I I'm, I'm refuse to wear that and they said well what are you going to do run out there with nothing on he said no I'll play in these and he had his underpants on <laughs> <laughs> they were those baggy underpants you know yeah. with the legs and whatnot. they looked like shorts but anyway that's what he played <laughs> and yeah, on another occasion I remember we had a at Canterbury we had a uh, a Spanish supporter, and uh, his name was Vince Rodriguez. And Vince smoked cigars. And uh, after tra- training, after training this night, he must have, he must have uh, come into the dressing room, and he was talking to some player. And he happened to be near Irvine, and and apparently some of his ash dropped onto Irvine. <laughs> and Irvine looked at him and said, 
what do you think I am? An ashtray? You get out of here. <laughs> so that was the sort of bloke he was. But, um, yeah, but you didn't get many people who were grouches, really. I mean, some of the people that I met, uh, you meet gentlemen like Ron Lord and Billy Henderson, and, and um, they're just, you know, terrific people. But Billy Henderson was a bit of a character. He he uh, he, he was a good singer and uh, tell a joke or two and always very uh, eager to, to talk and share his experiences with. And uh, on that... Um, New South, in that New South Wales squad at Camden, Billy uh, used to pretend he had the bagpipes and he'd play the bagpipes <laughs> for the Austrian players. And every night they'd say, Billy, Billy, bagpipes, bagpipes, and away he'd go. But, um, yes, Billy worked um, as an electrician down at one of the big uh, theatres in uh, George Street. And uh, as a consequence, he often heard the musicals and he, he used to do a great impersonation of Al Jolson and... <laughs> and uh, a few other entertainers. So he was another great character of the time. And, um, yeah, there were plenty of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just well, nice, there, decent people. Yeah, if there's more to think of, let's. Uh, if you want to go through them, I'm, I'm more than happy to. Because um, this is, I guess, um, like you said, sometimes, um, even when I do these interviews, sometimes we can sort of say, oh, well, Barry played this many games, scored this many goals. But when you talk about... Um, players like you just did then, it gives a further insight to to them as people. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and they were good people too, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> not many people that played that I played with were, were genuinely bad people. I mean, they were, everybody was a fairly decent type, you know, and we had a lot of fun. And uh, one another fun story was uh, Will Billington. He he was always into, into mischief and uh, causing a bit of mayhem where he could. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, good, great team spirit, and had people laughing in the dressing room. But um, yeah, so sad, uh, sad those days have gone, never to return. <laughs> and and when you, um, because at Canterbury as well, you had had Joe um, Joe Vlatsis, and and who was the other yeah. gentleman that the coach? Oh, for... Denise Adrigan. He was Hungarian also. He was more to do with goalkeepers than uh, outfield players, yep. but um, <clears throat> he was responsible. For well, partly responsible for the emergence of Ronnie Corrie. Do you remember yeah, Ronnie Corrie? Yeah, yeah was, definitely. Well, well, Ronnie Corrie was a, a product of uh, Denise Adrigan's coaching, uh, goalkeeping coaching, um, and uh, yeah. So that was uh, uh, I've mentioned most of the coaches that uh, were inspirational to me. Uh, another bloke when I played for Henry only played a couple of games, but. He came back to help me, to make me a better player, he said. He's, he was a German uh, by the name of Hugo Rosling. Yep. And um, Hugo broke down. He only lasted, his knee went and he had to give it away. But uh, I always, when I saw him many years later, I used to say to him, I broke your heart, didn't I? That's why you stopped playing. <laughs> he said, no, 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 I had an injury. But uh, yeah, but he, he was another person who was very knowledgeable and always prepared to pass their knowledge on and make you a better player. Because so, um, um, where did you originally know Hugo from? Well, I, he came to Australia in 19, mid or 53, 52 or 53, yep. and he played on the left wing for it, and he was a very good player. He played for um, First Division Club in Germany. Um, he did tell me the name of the club, and it was where the Australian team played one of their matches in the World Cup in 2006, but I can't remember it So now. when you were but coming he, into the senior ranks, he was there also? No, he saw me He saw me play. He came okay. up and watched Winuna play in 55, and 
that's when he decided he'd come back and see if he couldn't help me develop into a better player. Um, and so, but as I said, he only lasted a couple of games before he broke down and he had to give it away. But, uh, yeah, he, he taught me a bit and said, you know, when you give me the ball, where are you going to go? And I'd say, I'm going there. He said, no, think about it. Uh, why would you go there? Isn't it better to stay here? And, you know, just pointed so much stuff out that, yeah, they they were very helpful. And uh, they were the people you learned from. And uh, if you listened, you couldn't help but learn. Yeah, but And uh, so I enjoyed all of those experiences. And uh, so, as I said, the English professionals, some of them that came here were outstanding in that regard, provided you were prepared to listen to what they said. They didn't come around and belt it down your ears. You had to draw them out. And yep. if you did, then you're rewarded accordingly. Hmm. And in terms of some of those other representative matches, because at that time when we spoke earlier on in this interview today, you spoke about that um, the the Illawarra and, and Sydney teams played in a sort of southern competition and then there was a northern competition with the, the Newcastle teams. Um, there, well, it, there, was yeah, a, well, there was a north versus south representative games, wasn't there? Oh, that's right. Well, that was an old thing that went back a long way and that helped them pick representative teams for New South Wales and so forth because uh, it was the only time that you saw the North against the South. For one brief period, um, they did have an intercity competition where the teams travelled from Illawarra to Newcastle, Newcastle to Illawarra, Newcastle to Sydney, and so on and so yep. on. And um, it was very tough, though. I mean, if you imagine it, in those days, the, the roads were appalling, and um, while they travelled in uh, nice cars... Um, it was a long way to go, and it took something like, so probably from Illawarra to Newcastle, it probably took about four and four and a half hours, five hours. Yep. And so you left it, say you left at eight o'clock in the morning, and you got there, and you got there at, say, one o'clock, and you had to play at three o'clock, and there's nothing worse than sitting in a car or a bus for five hours and then attempting to play football yeah, at the end not, of it. It's not conducive, so, is so, it? <laughs> no, so it didn't last long, and I realised that they were better to have the two divisions. Yep. And Newcastle played a very prominent role in the development of football in this country. And uh, I'm sure uh, somebody who's followed the history as you have would be aware that the coal fields were generally the places where they played the best football. And the reason for that was that a lot of the people came from uh, British coal mines to Australian coal mines and they brought their skills with them. And um, that's why Newcastle was so strong and Illawarra was so strong. And um, I remember when I was a kid, I, I used to watch football whenever I could. And living so close to the ground, the state league games were always played on a Saturday. Yep. And then some, some of the district games would be played on Sundays. And Winuna was a very good ground for getting people to go to the ground because the buses pulled right up alongside the oh, ground. Okay. And so I, I was forever going over if I wasn't watching the state league teams play. Um, I was going over to watch district people play. I even saw coal mining uh, competitions between the coal mining, uh, various coal mines, South Bulleye and uh, Scarborough and Excelsior. They all had football teams, and I'd even go across and watch them play. And <laughs> so <laughs> I was, I was, a, I was a fanatic when I was a kid. I I loved it so much. But um, but yeah, I, and I learned a lot from that too. And uh, uh, just watching is, is good for kids to do. But in this day and age, they when you can watch uh, Messi play and uh, just by turning on the telly, then they're so lucky because we didn't have that luxury. We we had to watch it live. Yeah, and, and go out and experience it. Yes. Yeah. In, in terms of um, the, 
I guess post you know you you finished what was it 1970 uh, you had a couple of games you were saying and then yes. and then finished up then um, did you did you miss the game or did you think you'd had a good run at it and, and oh no no I was happy to give away because yeah. by then I was you know I had, I had a right knee that was playing up and uh, I was happy to go I, and I, I got back into tennis so I, and I was I had something to go back into yep. and as I said I tried to get back into cricket but that was a dismal failure <laughs> and um but uh, the tennis lasted for a few more years, and that compensated in that I had an interest and had good friendships that followed on from that. So uh, yeah, that was um, that was uh, compensated with the being able to play tennis and whatnot. See, people like Adrian, he and he stayed in football, and he went on to coach Bulleye with great deal of success in the yep. district competition, and he played in the teams as well, and he loved it. He loved doing that, but. I uh, I'd had enough. I was ready to pull the stumps, and um, but I I always continued. Uh, did you still my coach? Interest. Did you still I coach in, I, at, even at when school I, level? I became a prin- when I when I became a principal, I was still coaching the football team. Okay, I coached the football team at uh, Mount St Thomas, yep. and also at Coromandel East, and in my last school, which was Waniora, which is down on near Bullo Beach. Yep, I was still coaching the football teams there, but. And I even coached the girls' teams, <laughs> which used to break me up because the girls didn't worry about the ball so much as they worried about getting square with one of the other girls on the other teams. <laughs> yeah, it used to break me up a bit, but uh, yeah. But so no, you, I, so I you still got a bit of a soccer fix in terms of coaching the, the schools that you're at? Yeah, I did. I did that for you know, until I retired, but I, then I wouldn't uh, dare to push myself on to some, some other people after that. But I've always maintained an interest. I've been to Melbourne and I've been to Brisbane watching the Socceroos and, and they're really good. I, I love watching them play. As a matter of fact, we've got tickets for the uh, the match in a fortnight's time yeah. against um, um, Nepal. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. One of one of my friends from Brisbane, an old South Coast player, Johnny Ewell, is coming down to, uh, to, uh, visit, to visit on that occasion going out to the game. So yeah, so that'll be something to look forward to. Yeah, and in terms of, um, I remember um, that you sort of, uh, and and you're a fairly um, uh, humble man. Um, that I've in in terms of the time I'm speaking to you now, but I was speaking to uh, one of the blokes that um, coaches at Bowgiani now is James Dummett, and um, he, oh Jamie Dummett, he he, 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 he yeah. well he yeah, he he, he recalled you as because he, you know you teached him and whatnot and. And then it was just a, a funny thing that I'd said I'd spoken to you a couple of weeks ago, and we were watching a youth grade game, me and him. And um, he sort of said that you were you were a great man and a, a great teacher. And then he he always recalled that I think it was the seventh of the seventh, nineteen seventy seven. You were teaching him <laughs> and and and, right. and the and the class and and something of the something of the um, because of the year. And he and you said to them. That if we're ever around on the eighth of the eighth, nineteen eighty-eight, we'll get together and and funnily enough, yeah, funnily enough, <laughs> you got got together years later. That's right, we did, yeah. And Jamie was a good little player too when he was going to school. Did he continue on? And um, yeah, I, th- I think yeah. He, he he played. Um, I think he was in the state side. Yeah, uh, he was certainly in the Illawarra team. He played a bit of NSL and then um, for the Wolves, but didn't um, yeah right play yeah. a lot no, of he games. He was useful. He was a very yeah. good player. So yeah. I just I just remembered that when uh, speaking to you yeah. now when you're talking about your teaching. So is there any yeah. other things that um, sort of spring to mind, Barry, or um, that you'd like to sort of talk about in terms of uh, I guess players or 
um, games or, or or incidences that you can think of? No, look, I think we've covered it all, uh, Travis. So I don't think we've left anything out. Um, yeah, I think I've uh, put everything uh, forward that I can uh, talk about. Yeah, definitely. You definitely have. And, yeah. And like I said, um, out of interest, because I like this sort of history stuff, did you ever get to keep um, any of the, the shirts um, from your playing days? Because <laughs> it's very... That was a bone of good. It's very, a bone very of contention. <laughs> it's very, very common these days, you know. Um, maybe not at a local level, but it's sort of these uh, international representative games, or even A League, where you know they're swapping shirts willy nilly. Um, uh, did you have get to keep any of your shirts from representative or or your federation days? No. Well, as, well, as a matter of fact, the only thing I think I got away with. It was a pair of New South Wales socks, <laughs> and uh, when I say got away with it, they, they, I didn't get away, didn't steal them, but they were they were offered. So I I took them, and I picked up on that '59 tour by Deportivo Suppressor. I picked up one of their shirts, yep. and I gave that to gave it to one of the younger kids. I don't know <laughs> don't know which club it was, but I, I gave it away because well, they were little people, and it didn't fit me anyway. And um, I gave. Uh, I gave a few things away. Um, I had an Australian tracksuit top, which somebody asked me if they could have, which I gave uh, willingly because um, I'd finished by then and a tracksuit top doesn't do much for you, does it? And they were very happy to have it because I think it had Australia emblazoned on the back of it. But no, no, nothing really. But in those days when you played for Australia, they collected everything and put it back in the bag oh, really? because they'd use it for the next time. Oh, yeah, it was um, <laughs> very, very poorly run, and and um, I think I got ten quid for that first game I played in Melbourne against the Hearts of Midlothian. And these days, I think they probably get um, twenty thousand or something a game. You know, and I got ten quid, <laughs> and um, you're lucky to get um, your, your uh, hotel paid for you. But um, but the federation changed a bit of that. Uh, when they picked that federation squad, they bought us blazers and tracksuits and ties, and um, so yeah, that was it was it was much better because they were just more professional and wanted the players to look like professionals. Professionals, yeah. So that's what they did, and and I, it's you feel you respond to that, you know, you you feel more professional, you act more professionally if you're treated like a professional. So yeah, that yeah, the that's why I. I know that the New South Wales breakaway in 1956, 57 was a good thing for the game. I think it it turned the game around and, and made it what something. It made it something like it is today, where it's yeah. professional and everybody's got a better attitude. The grounds are better, the payments to players are worthwhile, and uh, there's a great honour in playing uh, for Australia and New South Wales. But uh, one thing I should say, I guess, is that. Uh, there was a Blake Craig Johnson who was a very good player for Liverpool. Uh, he might have played a couple of games in Newcastle at one stage of his career, but I always felt he let himself down and he let Australia down by suggesting that to represent Australia at football was like representing England in, in surfboard riding or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. which which was a dreadful put down. And um, I object to that I, for a person who could have done a hell of a lot to help developed the game, he turned his back on it. And I think that was pretty weak. And I, I see they put him into the Australian Hall of Fame. And he, he only kicked, what, 
played four, kicked four, four balls in four games, and I think that's sad, that he should be in the Australian Hall of Fame. He should be in the Liverpool Hall of Fame or the England Hall of Fame, but he doesn't belong in the Australian Hall of Fame. And I, I felt very strongly about that at the time. But anyway, I registered my complaint, and he's still there. His name's still there. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, anyway, com- sometimes, sometimes comments like that... Um... Um, do make a difference in terms of the culture of the game and and um, and and what people aspire to. Like you said yourself, in '47, you know your dad took you up to the showground to watch, um, you know the likes of Charlie Stewart and and Cunningham and whatnot to play, and then and that inspired you to to do what you did and and play the game. Yes. So um, yep. it, it does mean a lot. And in terms of, um, lastly, before we so we go, like you said, that the Federation sort of brought in more professionalism. So what was the sort of um, uh, rough comparison in terms of, I guess, the pay compared to your weekly pay, um, you know, when you were playing for Canterbury and South Coast United? Well, it, it, more, it, it applies more to South Coast United than, yep. than Canterbury. I think I was, uh, I think... See, people like Johnny Warren and Brian Smith, they were getting three quid a game. And other people like Leo Baumgartner, they were they were getting thousands out of the game. And they were getting three quid a game, you know. And and that's what sort of broke Canterbury's back because Canterbury officials should have realised they had to do something. But they were always worried about being in the black. And so they didn't want to pay players, promised players, money they couldn't pay. But but that was uh, what made the difference. And um, uh, as, as I just said, I mean, being a professional, you, if you're paid professionally, you act like a professional, you play more like a professional. Whereas if you're playing for peanuts, well, then that's how you play. You play like a monkey. Yeah, you but, get monkeys. Uh, so when, yeah. you're, when you're at South Coast, so roughly, you know, were you getting sort of, I guess, uh, one-fifth of your sort of wage from playing soccer and then the rest of it from teaching or was it sort of oh no well look I, it was like this teachers were poorly paid in those days i've got to say that i should say that at the outset uh it's a bit better today but i think when we won i think i was getting 25 quid when we won yep. this is a, a match a match so my weekly uh, wage was about 20 pounds oh wow uh, to, for a week's work and um i remember one of my bosses uh, he, he used to uh, he used to get quite quite upset when I'd say to him, "Look, I'll earn more money this weekend playing football than I will. F- you'll pay me than you'll pay me for a week's work here. Not that he paid it, but no, no, but no. yeah, that, but it just and he used to get pretty angry about that. <laughs> and I don't blame him, I suppose, on reflection. But yeah, but that was the case, and it's it's wrong. Um, um, you know, I mean, you look at uh, what entertainers get in this day and age. Um, oh, astronomical, and, isn't it? Yeah, and so they they walk around taking millions for an appearance on stage, and and then you look at say a uh, a scientist who gets not even a tenth of that, you know, yeah. and it's uh, the the system's wrong somehow. Oh, but, definitely. But anyway, yeah. Well, but, like um, I said, um, I, I'm extremely appreciative, um, and and forever grateful that you would uh that you would speak to me. I, I think, um, like I said to you when we first started talking a couple of weeks ago, that um. You know, I, I think I'd spoken to you in in the uh, late 90s when I sort of first started getting into this soccer history um, yes. sort of fascination. Um, and, and like I said, I thanked you then and, and I'm forever grateful and thank you now and, and really appreciate um, your time uh, 
speaking with me about about the people that you've played with and, and the time that you've had in the game, Barry. It's been my pleasure, Travis. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. There you have it. Another interview done and dusted. Thanks again to Barry for his time. I respect and appreciate him. I am your host, Travis. Goodbye for now. (laughs) 